how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. My name is Josh Redberg, and I'm filling in again for our normal host, Nate Aiken. I'm here with John Aiken, and we are walking through the book of Proverbs together. Last week, we worked through halfway through uh, Proverbs 6. Today, we're going to be talking about the second half of 6 and all of 7, as it really continues the one theme of adultery and, uh, and seduction. And so, John, we talked about this two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 5, actually hit upon some of what is contained in 6 and 7, but just just sort of maybe rehearse some of what you said when we talked about 5, but particularly 6 and 7, how would you look at these chapters together? Um, how would you teach them? Like, how would you walk through this with the congregation? Yeah, so I think what we said last week in chapter 5, what Solomon tells his son is that this unfaithfulness starts typically not necessarily where we think, but it, it starts with communication, like this mm-hmm. flirtation, the seduction. Um, that's that's clear from Proverbs 5 when he says that they her lips drip honey, uh, that her words are smoother than oil. In chapter 7, we're going to see that same kind of um, phrasing. He, he talks in 7.5 about the adulteress with her smooth words. And then in chapter 7, it's really this prolonged kind of narrative of this woman giving these like the kinds of flattery that she would do to try to lure this man into um into unfaithfulness uh but 6 is a little different in that 6 picks up uh where we would think typically for men that um sexual sin would start it starts with attraction so he he says um he gives all the the usual things about the instruction right my son keep your Father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching, that's 620. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. Again, this Deuteronomy 6 language, uh, what you're supposed to do with the law. When you when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. Um, and all these things, verse 24, preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And then verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. And so here he's 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 saying, yes, there is an idea of physical attraction that leads to lust and leads to sexual sin. And you need to avoid that. And giving attention to his wisdom, uh, you know, being a person who having the law written on your heart, that's going to help you fight against uh, this kind of temptation. So if you were giving some advice to someone preaching chapter five, the second half of six and chapter seven together, since they all are similar thematically. How much of this did you read? How much of this did you summarize? How did you actually like work through a text that has this many verses and and even has a sort of gap in the middle of chapter six? Yeah, I read all of five, and then I read um, those verses I just read in six. So that was what four or five verses, and then. I really honestly only read, I think, the ox goes to the slaughter verse in chapter seven. I, I summarized the story in chapter seven. And so the way I the way I broke the sermon down was one, what what the what God's standard is, don't fall into sexual sin. 
And here's the two ways that you can fall into sexual sin. Flirt, you know, communication and attraction uh, are the two ways they're given. And then the second part is the, the, the warning is because of the consequences that you're going to experience as a result of falling into this sin. And there's temporary consequences. We see that in chapter five. We see that at the end of chapter six, um, where he's, he's talking about the one who, um, who commits adultery, that there's going to be this jealous husband who takes revenge. And so 634 for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. And so all the temporary consequences in chapter five of regret and waste of time and money and et cetera. And then also you've got to deal with, um, you know, an avenging husband and, um, and then final, so, so there's temporary consequences and there's final judgment. Uh, a man's ways, end of chapter five, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Uh, he ponders all his paths. And so even if you're not found out in this life, God knows, and you're going to be held accountable for it. And then the last third section was how to fight it. And again, that was the horizontal gospel of being satisfied in your spouse and the vertical of the, the picture of marriage pointing us to Jesus and the church. Um, and so that's kind of how I, how I tried to bring it all together. No, that's good. And we're going to come back to that uh, vertical in just a minute, but why do you think just in your study of Proverbs, why do you think so much space is given for this particular issue of sexual sin at this point in the book of Proverbs? I mean, it's, it's significant. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of people follow this, but I mean, it, it, it makes, all the sense in the world to me, I think it's because this is the main issue where Solomon failed. And I think he's, I think he's pleading with his son not to follow suit because the, the, again, even the way the, the, the word that is used, like in chapter seven, verse five, the forbidden or the strange woman is the exact same phrase that's used in first Kings um, 11 to talk about Solomon marrying these foreign wives and how they turned his heart away from the Lord. And so I think it's just, and I think it's where young men are at. I mean, again, we, when I teach on these passages, um, you know, people have talk about having the talk with your kids. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that Deuteronomy six, and I think the book of Proverbs says, no, you're having an ongoing conversation. It's, yeah. it's multiple talks, right? Yeah. And it's both right. Positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. This doesn't, this doesn't come from nowhere, right? This, this is based upon all of the previous Old Testament instruction on, on marriage, right? And so it's not just, it's, it's a negative, if you will, a negative type warning based upon so much positive instruction and encouragement. Yeah. And, and then the negative stems from a genuine concern for young people that they not hurt, harm themselves, right? I mean, that's what warnings are. Warnings are the opposite side of the positive of saying, right. if you don't do what God has, if you don't follow this in the way God has designed for it to be used, then you're going to harm yourself. And we've seen all this, this string of, of things in the old Testament where this has harmed people over and over again. I, whenever I preach on it, I, I like to use sometimes just cause they get a good laugh, funny, like warning labels um, where like one of the funniest ones to me is, it, it, you'll see in shirts sometimes warning, do not iron while wearing. And it's like, <laughs> like, why is that in there? Really? And it's because some idiot 
ironed his shirt while he was wearing it and burned himself. And you know? blame them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably made a, a lot of money. And so that, so the warnings are there because, because that God knows and, and Solomon by spirit knows how much joy there is available to you if you'll follow yeah. Genesis chapter two. Yeah. Well, I want to come back to that, but I want to ask you a personal question real quick. Mm-hmm. You have three brothers. Which one of them would have been most likely to iron a shirt while wearing it? That's an amazing. So I don't know the answer to that. I think I've shared this story before and I'll share it again. I, our youngest brother did try to warm up taco sauce packets in the microwave. And um, <laughs> that's another example of using something against its design and it causing uh, some conflict. And so that's, uh, so I, he, I think we're probably it's possible would have been likely. Him. It's possible, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Nate and I could have easily done it. How many of you guys would have been more likely to iron your brother's shirt while they were wearing it? A hundred percent. That's true. Yeah. So do you think there's some danger, uh, or at least maybe some caution, I should say, maybe danger is too strong in only portraying sexual things negatively in the, the way that they're taught, um, in a church, maybe particularly even to young people is it's only warning, warning, warning without the, the flip side. Right. Cause I mean, there's such a strong connection here to Deuteronomy with you, like you're talking about in verses 20, 21, 22, 23, these are basically straight quotes. So there's an assumption here, I think, and you're saying this, that you understand the positive. Now let me warn you about the negative. How often do you think, or what's the danger? And if we're only talking about the negative, bad, 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 without laying that positive uh, groundwork that, that upholds this passage. I think it's a massive danger. And I think it's a danger the church has given into too many times uh, to count. I think, I, I think we do a disservice to, um, I, I think the thing that has been communicated is, is no, 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 no. All right, now you're married. Okay, go for it. And yeah. it causes all kinds of issues. And, and um, yeah, and I, so I think in my sermon, at least fully a third of the sermon is pointing towards the positive and saying, this is, this is what, this is what this is pointing you to every time. Like, I mean, again, I, I try not to be too indelicate when I preach it. So depending on the context or who I'm preaching it to, but it's like every time that you are, um, aroused, like it should be pointing you to the fact that God designed you to be married and yeah, to enjoy these that, things in marriage. Right? It just huh? becomes this, it just becomes this fearful thing, this scary thing. And then you're right. All of a sudden it's like, okay, no holds barred. And you wonder why so many marriages, Christian marriages are impacted negatively when it comes to sexual issues. Yeah. And it says, again, the no by itself is not strong enough because, because this is, we're created to, to enjoy this good gift. And so the no by itself, you've got to put something more, you got to put something stronger in the place of the no. Yeah. And and this is a perversion. The issue Mm -hmm. here, right? This is a perversion of God's intention. So if you don't actually talk about the intention, then the perversion becomes less, less clear. Right. I mean, and the classic illustration is, and, and it's, and it's used, um, it's used here in, in this text. So 627, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Fire is, can be a wonderfully 
positive and important thing. And it can also be an incredibly destructive uh, thing. Yeah. And if it's in the right place at the right time, it's wonderful. And if it's in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's destructive. Yeah, that's a great example of what he's talking about here. Now, you said the the final third of your sermon is talking about the horizontal dimension, but really leading then to the vertical dimension of how this pictures um, our, the church and Christ. So push into that a little bit more. Um, how, how would you unpack that? So, so one of the specific ways that I would do that here, like in chapter 7, is uh, the, the, this idea of um, all— so, so in chapter 7, it's just this incredible story, and there's a lot you can get into um, about what, what she's saying, right? So, so in, in 7 verse 6, from, from at the window of my house, I looked out through the— Lattice, and I've seen among the simple uh, this young man who lacks sense, and who, again, he lacks a heart. Really, is the Hebrew, and he's passing along the street near her corner. So that whole the whole idea of like fleeing from sexual sin, he's not doing that. He's taking yeah. taking the road to her house. So he's he's playing with fire. Uh, as my dad always told me as a kid, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person, the wrong thing usually will happen. Um, and it's a good word and. Um, and so she meets him dressed as a prostitute. Uh, she's loud and wayward. And um, she seizes him, kisses him with a bold face. She said, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. And so even this idea, we see even an idea here of, um, like, she's she's flattering him. Like, I've, I've come to meet you. She uses religious talk to ease the conscience. Like God's not yeah. going to be mad. We can be forgiven. We, you know, I've, I've, I've made the sacrifices that I need to, uh, to make. Uh, so now I've come out to meet you. Um, I've spread my couch with coverings and colored linens from Egypt, perfume my bed, etc. Come, let us take our fill of love. And then she says, because my husband is not at home, he's gone a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come, and and so. Like nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's gonna find out about this. Even if God, you know, we've paid our sacrifices, we can be forgiven. No big deal. We're not gonna get caught. Um, and so she's using all of this um to seduce him. And so with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And verse 22, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Um, and that she, her house, verse 27, the end, her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. And so one of the things that I talk about, um, when I, when I preach chapter seven is to talk about the fact that, uh, even though Jesus was pure of heart, um, he, he's the only person who never sinned sexually, whether in thought or deed. Um, he went into Sheol on behalf of sexual sinners and he came back out alive on the other side. Uh, to break the power of sexual sin in our life, and um, and so I so I'm so I'm a lot of times pointing to again that reality of we're the ones who've fallen short. Yet Jesus took the punishment that we deserve, and now He offers us forgiveness and transformation. Uh, and that transformation looks like the story, the the picture of the gospel that the bridegroom has laid down his life for his bride. Uh, he didn't give in to his his own sexual, uh, his own sinful, selfish urges. But he was he you know prioritized his bride over himself, and he remained faithful to her. 
And so um, that's what we're that's what we're uh, saved and pointed to is to is to replay that picture of Christ in the church in our own marriages. Yeah, that's good. I, I think of a couple of passages in the New Testament that that come to mind in what you're just saying. One is John four, when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well who's got this broken, sexually broken past, mm-hmm. right? And and he offers her forgiveness and cleansing, um, which is a great example of what you were saying there about how Jesus restores this, but also how James uses this same language to talk about our relationship with God, right? You, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world puts you at enmity with God? That sexual sin, adultery, has always pictured unfaithful hearts. Right. right? And so that's a, that's a clear tie between sort of this, if you will, physical act and the spiritual reality that it portrays. Yeah, and I think that's another way to point to Christ in these passages. I think it's clear, and we're going to talk about this more. I think when we get later on in Proverbs nine, but but it's it's clear that um, that idolatry is what leads to immorality, and so yeah, it's 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 false worship that then leads to false action, and it's clear in the Bible that adultery. I mean, idolatry is described as spiritual adultery, right? You've right. you've you've played the whore is the is the language that God uses for Israel. And that's not just true. Like this connection between sex and worship wasn't just true in the Old Testament. It's true now. Like if you think about um there's a song that came out a few years ago. I don't know how to exactly say the name of the the guy who sings it, Hosier or something like that. It's called Take Me to Church. The whole song is about um that, that going to church for him is is having this sexual encounter with this this girl. And uh, it's like the only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you and all, you know, all this. So that kind of language of, of sex being connected to worship is something that we even understand in our culture. And, uh, and that's, and that's true here in Proverbs going after the foreign woman is what turns Solomon's heart away from God. And, and it's what's going to turn this young man's heart away from God. And so what you need is, is right oriented worship, fear of the Lord that's then going to lead you to wisdom. And so I think that's another way to point to Christ uh, in this text is, it, is, is it, this is about worship and about who you're giving your allegiance to. Yeah. So when you ended this sermon, just sort of talk to me about how you wrapped it up, how you brought it to a conclusion, what you wanted to leave the listener with. So the last time I preached this, this was, this was um, honestly just the, the grace of God. Um, I, the last time I preached this, about two weeks before I preached it, I had a person that I'd never met. I don't know that I've I ever met him in person who wrote me an email having read the chapter in uh, the, Christ, the, the Exalting Christ in Proverbs commentary, who basically shared his testimony of uh, porn addiction and multiple affairs. And, um, and how God brought his whole life crashing down on him and how his wife forgave him and they worked through that and how now, you know, God's giving them opportunity to minister to other people. And, uh, you know, it all, he says it all stands back. It all goes back to the gospel and just, um, uh, killing a previous identity 
that I had and, and, um, you know, humbling myself and being exposed, um, things coming out in the light of day instead of being hidden in the darkness and how like that, that he thought his life was over and that, um, couldn't ever have imagined that not only that they would stay together, but that, that things would even be better now. Uh, than they were before. And so I use that story just to say, again, not that I'm not trying to excuse those things, but just trying to say, look, no matter how badly you failed here, the gospel really is good news and it really can bring change. And, um, and so I, I really try to end it with just hope. Yeah. And that's a great way really to wrap up this chapter is to think about the hope that comes for all of us, since all of us are adulterers, both, uh, lustful desires, but simply spiritual adulterers, those who mm-hmm. have chosen idols um, over over the one who loves us. And so a great reminder that a passage like this should lead us to exalt Christ. Well, thanks for listening to the Christ Center Clear podcast. Um, we'll be back next week with Proverbs 8. Uh, please join us then. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.